Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Raul, the Chief Product and Marketing Officer at Enadata, and we discuss how most AI projects fail because of a lack of clean data, how Enadata provides pristine training data for AI algorithms, and why it's important for managers to lead by example and give back to the community as much as possible. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hey, Raul. Hey, Joe. How are you? Fantastic. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Thank you. Where are you located at? Where are you calling in from? I'm Jersey. I live in Jersey. <laughs> Where are you guys? Uh, down in Florida area. Well, which part? A Bradenton, it's about an hour south of Tampa. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I was in uh, Miami two weeks ago. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. What were what type of technology were you into when you were younger? So when I was younger, I obviously did a lot of COBOL programming and tandem programming and stuff like that. And then I grew up, I um, wanted to get into the business side. So I did my MBA from McGill. Uh, so I'm, I'm an engineer and then did my MBA from McGill in Stockholm. And then got into consulting. So I spent a lot of my career uh, doing a lot of consulting work, like business strategy, operation strategy work, majority of it at IBM. Then ended up getting into the Watson Group, which was um, really interesting. Spent three years at IBM Watson, uh, which was an incredible experience uh, when AI was... Uh, yeah, it was just being announced, which was kind of cool, right? I mean, Ginny Rometty made an announcement. She's going to sp spend a billion dollars on IBM Watson. Yeah, so I got into, started leading the product stack there. Took pretty much which were research assets and commercialized them. Then spent two years doing a startup um, on AI. And then here at Inodata now. When you were working on the Watson, you were there for a while. Uh, was that when they were doing the thing with Jeopardy? It was just after Jeopardy. So I was there uh, on the strategy side, figuring out how can we commercialize what it was, which was a fantastic experience. And then I was came back and did something with, uh, with Watson uh, from a product standpoint, yeah. That's pretty cool. Was that your like very first project in AI? It would really, yeah, it was. My first experience in AI. Um, I started with uh, with a actually really interesting technology called as personality insights, uh, where you can use written text and it identifies your uh, personality traits. So we were able to do some really cool, interesting stuff with it. And then we ended up getting into image recognition and applying image recognition and then applying speech models and then applying NLP models. So it's great. It was, um, Again, IBM, to its credit, has always been ahead of the curve. I mean, they called out AI in 2013, 2014, when people weren't talking machine learning. They weren't talking AI. Why? Like, what puts them ahead of the curve? I just think it's research, right? They do a really good research. They understand their customers a lot better, and they're able to make some big bets. For example, they called out quantum computing 15 years ago, and now three years ago, I think they really started talking about it, and it's going to become uh, a fruition in the next two, three years. You will see reality of quantum computing coming in, uh, coming to place. 
Yeah, I got to talk to Robert Suter. He's one of the leaders of the quantum computing over at IBM. That's like one of my first people I got to talk to about quantum computing. He's so oh, smart. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I like to follow really, really, really smart people. And now I see him like he's been publishing books about qubits. And it's like, I think the book was called Dancing with Qubits. So it had like a nice little humor and interesting. Uh, he, he was just a cool person. Yeah. 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 I mean, these guys are super, super smart, right? I mean, half the time I can understand what they talk about, but <laughs> it's it's uh, uh, but it's it's fantastic, right? So I think it's um, uh, to to IBM credit, they are uh, lead. They they call things out. I wish they would execute better, but uh, I think uh, they do call out the trends sooner than others. Yes, and they're a very large organization. So, I mean, the more mass you get, the harder it becomes to execute. It really is. It, it takes takes a lot to execute. And when it, it becomes harder, especially when you're a publicly traded company, right? When you're trying to balance innovation with quarterly growth, which is, it's hard. Yeah, I was talking the other day with um, like an army general and mm -hmm. he was also into technologies, a CTO. And he mentioned that one of the reasons why the U.S. Army is so successful is because they push down the decision-making and it makes it really hard to defeat the enemy when you empower people at the lowest level to make decisions based on the current context. So right. there's, like, there's like a map for you know this procedure or how to flank, but given localized context, they will not even follow the own, their own plan given down from up above. Uh, due to their empowerment and to make those decisions. And I was like, that's such an interesting perspective as to why other countries say the U.S. military is, um, you know, more than adequate. Yeah, that's, real. that's right, right? I mean, you've got to empower your people, you've got to decentralize it, and then and then somehow you've got to bring the command and control back, right? So it's just, <laughs> yeah. you, can't, you can't let it be all, so you've got to bring, bring it back. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's definitely, um, it's a fluid motion, right? Right. So tell me a little bit about what you did after Watson. Yeah, so I was, uh, one of my customers at Watson was a company called as Equals3. Um, we, they rebranded themselves as Lucy.ai. And it was started by three co-founders, uh, three founders who've been in the MarTech industry for 15 years, very successful. And they were looking to solve a problem of needle in a haystack, right? So they wanted to say, there's so much unstructured content out there for marketers, right? When you are a marketer, you have access to millions of pages of uh, PowerPoints and unstructured content. Then you have first-party data, you have third-party data like Gartner and Forrester and other kinds of subscriptions. And you spend more time trying to find data than actually adding value, right? So as a marketer, you might want to understand um, if you are creating a digital campaign, hey, how many people live in... Uh, how many people who are African-American like toothbrushes in Brooklyn with zip code 07078, right, or whatever. That data will probably take you half an hour to 45 minutes to go to an MRI database and go find the answer. So they were applying machine learning techniques to, to find that answer in natural language. So I joined them as the chief product and customer success leader, we built out a product which is which won several awards, including IBM Watson uh, award. It won an award for the best ISV 
at each creative award and very successful in terms of trying to solve the problem of a marketer using machine learning and deep learning techniques to extract metadata. That's pretty cool. So I could just tell the system, hey, I want this information. I type into a text box. Exactly. Right. So you ingest the data in and you type it in just words and it'll come back with top 10 answers and you can then query and go all the way down. So went really, really well. We raised at that time eight, $9 million and uh, continues to do really well. And so then you move on from that to Enadata or was there some projects in between? No, I moved on to Inadata, and um, Inadata approached me. It's a, it's a really interesting company. Heritage of the business has been, we've been around for 30 years, uh, publicly traded, and 3,500 people around the world with really deep subject matter expertise in legal and pharma and healthcare and financial services. And what attracted to, so at that time, two and a half years ago now, the CEO and the board were looking for a chief product officer to come in and really transformed the business. And one of the things that really attracted me to Inadata was uh, having spent eight, seven years at by that time in AIML world, my hypothesis and thesis were companies that are going to be successful are ones that are going to have either are solving a business problem using deep learning, machine learning techniques that is uh, applicable to a business problem or uh, companies that have access to proprietary content or companies that have really deep subject matter expertise and are able to create content, right? Digitize content and create content. And InnoData is a, is a company which is really exciting because we have, we have people who understand content at a very granular level. So we have doctors and physicians on our staff, we have statisticians, we have lawyers, where um, we can, they are working for companies like Bloomberg and Thomson Reuters and Read Elsevier as their middle arm of creating content for them, which is sold as a digital product. So my thesis coming in was, you know, it is uh, exciting. Uh, it's an exciting company with AI. Again, another big thesis is AI is going to become part and parcel of every application. Like companies will not have a choice but to apply AI techniques to solving a certain problem because that's that's going to be expected by your customers. To solve those kind of problems, you need very clean, pristine data set. Having spent a lot of time with Jack Oberhoff, the CEO is extremely well positioned to take advantage of the growth trajectory that was that is coming and that thesis is starting to play out very well. So when people ask you what you do at Enadata, what's the short response? I I empower my teams to help uh, and my customers to help create training data so that they can go build sophisticated, sophisticated algorithms to solve uh, business problems using uh, machine learning and AI. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. That's amazing. That's so cool. I'm excited. I usually don't talk this much, but you got me all excited because I want to know, like, we're we. I feel as if we are in the times when computers were the size of a room, like in relation to AI, like it's just in its infancy, and I'm excited for you know the iPhone and and so I'm living in this past and I'm excited about this future and the way that would relate to AI is like I think it's going to be cool when there's cyborgs walking around 
and they're indistinguishable from humans unless if you perform some sort of like identification function right. on them or something. That'll be cool. It, it is, it's going to happen, right? I mean, it is going to happen. So the, everything that we, so go back, uh, go back to Star Trek days. I don't know how old you are, but go back to Star Trek days. How did you ever imagine they used to open up that thing and they would have a video conferencing with people below, right? Earth versus in their upstairs. That's FaceTime for you, right? Now I can go and talk to my parents in India. I can talk to anybody um, talking to you face-to-face -face as if I'm next to, uh, sitting next to you. Advances in technology are happening at astronomical pace. And I think um, AI is absolutely going to transform businesses. Yes. And it's interesting because we tend to take inspiration from our media and make that into reality. Not everything makes it, right? right? But when things are realized multiple times in multiple different ways, like you can look at, you know, you got Star Trek, but you also have the Jetsons, they're all talking to each other on these screens and then that ends up becoming reality. And so I'm always interested in, well, let's go back 20 or 30 years from now into the movies or let's look at what's happening right now today in the imagination in the movies. And that's gonna help us predict what's possible in the future. And I was like, that is a cool aspect of the human species. <laughs> That's true. Very true. So, okay. So you guys clean this data, right? What do your customers look like? Yeah. Uh, great question. So our uh, customers are um, anywhere from startups. So we do a lot of work with small companies, uh, seed capital, series A, series B, series C. Uh, I'll give you a few examples. One of our customers happens to be a company which is looking to automate uh, claims processing in the auto insurance world, right? So today, when you think of the business problem, you you have an accident, right? You take some images, you have a claims adjuster come in, they go take a look at your damage, they send out uh, send it out to their underwriter who takes a look at it, they make a determination, hey, should I replace it? Should I replace your windshield or should I replace your uh, fender bender? Or do I correct it? And then they give a quote and then you go make those changes. The problem they're looking to solve is they're looking to say, I can take an image, I can load it onto the app and the machine will identify the kind of a damage it is, identify the car model, they'll be able to connect to their system, underwriting system and auto adjust it and give you you're eligible for $5,000, right? And you can go ex do something, right? So they save so much money because on, on an average, every uh, it costs them $150 for a claims adjuster to come in. Now you're automating that whole process, you're turning around the time. So those are startups that raise $3 million, $4 million. We are working with some very other interesting startup in say, autonomous cars and image recognition models and some with very large, large social media companies uh, and machine learning companies where we are helping them with creating models for um, toxicity analysis or helping them understand what toxicity analysis is. Hey, is a certain content toxic? Is it, uh, is it violent, right? How do you automatically understand that content? We are helping companies with some companies identify uh, different objects, right? So we have worked with some very large companies where they give us 2 million, 4 million different images and we are, uh, exp we are annotating the data so that they can train the models uh, to identify an object. 
And then we are working with banks. We are working with large number of banks where we are working with things like ISDA contracts, which stands for derivatives contract, where we are taking any unstructured contract and we can apply machine learning techniques to extract metadata. So it goes all the way to long answer <laughs> from series A to large tech companies to large banks and healthcare institutions. That is so cool. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's been a fantastic, uh, to be able to see the kind of use cases and applied AI that is happening today, we get to see in variety of industries and every day I get blown away. Uh, as an example, um, I just got a uh, I just got a lead from a car manufacturer where they have large amounts of drone imagery, where uh, they want us to look at uh, they want us to create training data for the drone from from that drone imagery, which is video data, so that they can they can create the right path for acceleration from an autonomous car perspective. Right, so that's very cool, right? To get involved in those kind of projects. We are working, I can disclose the name of the company, uh, but we are about to be, we are about to start a project for autonomous cars uh, where we are going to be helping researchers in building all the training data required to create uh, for self-driving cars to happen, right? And you can imagine the amount of data required to solve that problem. So we are, we are about to, it's called as LIDAR data, which is specific format. But so we are starting to work on those kinds of problems now. Yeah, I learned about LIDAR when I was listening to Elon Musk give a talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I won't go there. I won't go any deeper. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, but it's so interesting to see the different ways because, you know, who's who's not geeking out about autonomous vehicles? It's so it's cool. Very cool. And there's so many different ways to solve a problem. That's the interesting thing about engineering too. I used to have a specialty consulting where people would come to me and this was like in hindsight, but people would come to me and they would say, all right, here's a, here's a patent on a software. Mm -hmm. We want to perform the same function better without violating the patent. Make it happen. <laughs> so that was like, there, there's a challenge, but because it's actually pretty easy. There's just so many different ways to solve a problem, sure. <laughs> which made me kind of like start to question why investors put so much weight on patents. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if you guys know this, but they can just find a smart person who can figure out how to achieve the same result in a slightly different way. Like, <laughs> it's possible. Sure. It's a business. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I'm off topic. Okay. So you do this AI training data, right? Mm -hmm. You've got these amazing customers and fantastic customer stories. Yeah. How do you, how do you keep up with like, how do you choose where to spend your time? If you, you're a large company, you have lots of customers, lots of stories. How does a customer like make it to you? Great question. So we do a lot of, um, advertising so we uh, we spend a lot of time in content marketing and obviously paid search so we have a fantastic marketing team where we our goal is to really um, democratize ai right we we truly believe that that companies today are struggling because and not being able to solve uh, a problems with ai because they lack clean training data. It's it's as simple as that. It's garbage in, it's old age adage of garbage in, garbage out, right? You don't have good data. I'll give you some statistics, which are really interesting, right? One is Arvind Krishna, who is the who's now the chairman and CEO of IBM. 
I think a year and a half ago, two years ago, publicly came out saying 85% of IBM projects are failing because of lack of clean training data, right? Uh, Michael um, Conklin from CIA, uh, who's the head of data there, came out something with very similar statistics, right? So it's a well-known uh, fact where you, not having access to good, clean, annotated training data, you will feel in your AI initiatives. And if, if you think of the mark, uh, if you think of think of the amount of money being spent on AI, it's expected to be $125 billion in the next five years. If 85% or 90% of those projects are failing, imagine the amount of money that is going to waste. That's $100 billion that can feed countries. So we want, so long answer short, we, we want to educate people in by our marketing approaches, by writing and talking about the types of problems we are helping our customers with, so that they can they understand and they know they know that there are companies like us around that can help them as they go and deploy their AI uh, solutions. That's the smartest move. I'm telling you, it works. It is the current great move uh, to be be the one educating. Be the YouTube video people first see when they're exploring the topic, right? Because they're going to start learning from you. They're going to learn your background, and and then it just becomes. Uh, you build trust, you build trust and respect on the topic. And then when they need to go to the professional services route, when they need to start spending money in that area, you're the person that they know and trust when you've never even had a conversation with them yet, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think, uh, and we also have a great uh, sales team, direct sales team, which is, which goes and tries to talk to data scientists and the CTOs and educate them on, what we can do and how we can support them. And, and the problem is actually very simple. Problem is enterprises who are spending hundreds of millions of dollars on AI and ML, they, are, they can't expect their existing workforce to create this training data because everybody's working 120%, 150%, right? So this, is an, this work is over and up beyond what you have to do. And it's not a fun book. <laughs> it does require subject matter. It's pity. It does require transforming the data into a certain format so that the machines can understand in, in a certain format that it can be taken. And what happens is there is data drift. Data drift is um, like data scientists, they build a model, they find, oh, you know what? I forgot certain field, maybe this field needed to be annotated. So you have to go retrain and create new training data. Oh, by the way, the data changes, right? Just the parameters of the data change, or you have to rework the model. So it becomes a continuous activity. So when organizations who are embarking on these kinds of initiatives, they really have to, I would, we, we urge our customers to, to allocate substantial amount of the budget thinking about how are you going to create this training data? How are you going to manage the data? How are you going to manage issues around data drift and, and allocate budget and be thoughtful about the full AI strategy before getting it, uh, getting started. Are you guys a publicly traded company? We are, we are publicly nice. traded. Okay. We just had our, uh, uh, first quarter earnings and it was fantastic, right? We're starting to see effects of our uh, of the work that we've been doing for the two years, starting to show a showcase in revenue growth. That's exciting. The way I'm looking at this is you guys are like oil and people haven't even gotten all the cars yet. And 
in 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 10 years you're going to be significantly larger than you this is what everybody needs it's like the prerequisite to the ai is the data it's a it's a smart business so that must mean that there's other companies doing this right like you aren't the only one we aren't the only one there are um, small and large companies looking to solve similar problems yeah and how do you differentiate yourself yeah again um i think there are two ways uh, two two big reasons right how we differentiate the first one is quality so our company heritage has been digitizing content for information publishers right so if you think about a company like a bloomberg uh, or a company like an elsevier or any of these large companies who produce digital content they require 99.99% accuracy because that data is being used think about bloomberg that data is being used to trade and you can't have any mistakes in the data so our quality processes are so well tuned to that kind of quality level which means we have people who are um, we have teams across the world which are in a data employees and we train them we staff them we have very rigorous quality parameters that we look for when we give our final deliverables we are winning work from a lot of our competitors because companies are coming back and saying hey the quality level wasn't great and we really need someone who can produce 99% accuracy i'll give you a simple example just in the morning we won a million dollar project from one of the largest uh, tech companies in the world and we are going to be scaling up to 100 people to begin with and the chances are it will scale to 500 people but we're taking away work from an existing vendor who could not produce that quality level they were producing 95% quality level they expect 99% quality level that quality is absolutely the number one differentiator and if you it's again you need great quality the other thing which we have is we built our own ai ml platforms that allow us to at a large scale create this training data we have our own platforms we think we have some unique differentiation around our ability to in the tech side be able to take uh, convert any kind of a textual data into machine uh, readable format and then pass it through large teams that can do the annotation and then produce the right quality metrics like quality metrics that data scientists look for are things like krisendorf's alpha or they look for metrics like kappa metrics these are important metrics to understand whether the high quality data has been created and prepared our platforms provide these kinds of metrics on the fly giving access to the data scientists comfort that the data that they're going to be training the model for are really good and finally we build machine learning models that can auto annotate right so think about the amounts of data you need to be able to to have machines auto annotate the data so we we also have a platform that is a no code platform that no data scientist is required and the model starts to get created as we create the training data and you uh, accelerate the uh, training data uh, creation that's so cool so you are the difference between 95% quality and 99% quality absolutely i love that I've always wondered when I first got started making businesses I thought to myself why do some people wake up and they choose to be like the Bentley of cars and other people wake up and choose to be like the Toyota of cars and I just didn't really understand it now I find it's a lot about like principles and culture uh things of that nature and so whenever I'm shopping for a product 
I start thinking, I take those things into account. Like, what's the culture like at this company? Like, who are these people? Uh, what, what do they believe in? And that helps me understand like what's going on behind the scenes there. Hey, I want to take a break from the, from the AI stuff real quick. I just want to know, like, what's your, um, you have kids, families? What, yeah, what's your I'm like, married, like? two kids, 15 and 10. Uh, yeah. So um, high schooler and a fourth grader. So Boys, girls? Boy and a girl. How about that's exactly what I have. Yeah, that's exactly. I have a boy and a girl. Uh, the girl's about four. The boy is just over two. Very cool. And so I just approximate, right? <laughs> She's about four. He's about two. We're out of the counting months part, right? When you're doing like the 18, 24 months. But uh, man, I'll tell you what, it is so rewarding. And it's honestly, it makes me think that we're just really advanced computer systems, Raul, because you watch them learn and you watch them go through these training sets and you watch them pick up data and you see how they're learning and it's their little AIs and it's brilliant. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I mean, uh, it is, um, uh, we are about to get a, uh, get a dog and, uh, that's going to be an amazing, interesting experience on how do you how do you train a dog? Like are there, are there experiences and techniques of you know because it's it's all about rinse and repeat, right? You you teach the dog you have to do a certain thing, and you hope that that's what the dog is going to continue doing. So and the hard part's the disciplines. Like it's easy to know like what to do. I think it's fairly easy to figure out what to do through right. books or conversations with mentors. I'd say the hardest thing is doing it consistently over a long period of time. Correct. As, as difficult, but yeah. you've been able to do that. That's why you've succeeded in your career. I, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, been a great journey. Can't, can't complain. Where do you think your discipline and drive comes from? I think it, a lot of it comes from my, from my parents, right? I think, uh, my dad's, uh, probably one of the hardest working person I've ever known. He's a professor um, in, in India and he's written over 200 books and he continues to still get up at 4 a.m. in the morning and continues to write and, and teach. So I think it's, uh, it's something that's, uh, that's really helped me, uh, helped me one, give back and then just seeing him do it, I think has helped give me the discipline to, you know, work hard. It's, it's about hard work and work ethics that drives success. I firmly believe it's not about intelligence. It's really about uh, hard work and work ethics. Oh, I can tell you it's not about intelligence because <laughs> I'm not that smart of a person and it just takes a long time of hard work. I, it really is, right? It's perseverance. It's absolutely, and I tell this to my kids all the time. The winners in the, uh, it's firstly, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So life's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Remember that. And number two, remember that it's all about be, being able to take any job and doing, doing it to the best of their abilities, right? And then just persevering. And if you can just have those three things, you will do fine. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of hard too, because like physiologically, we have emotions and those are typically short spurts, right? You'll go through moods throughout the day. And so we're sort of trained on like these shorter cycles and to have success, you have to have these longer cycles. It's, I don't know. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Okay. So you do all this work, right? You yeah. get to where you are. Did you say that your, your dad has written 200 books? Yeah. Yeah. He's written over 200 engineering books, which is mind blowing to me how he's done that. Have you written any books? 
I haven't written yet. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a goal. I just haven't had time or the drive to do it. So one day, one day. Do you have the same name as your dad? Uh, yeah, last name, yeah. Oh, okay. Because if you had like my brother and my dad, they have the same first and last name, right? Okay. But if you if you did have the same name, you could like take a little bit of credit for some of those books. <laughs> Not all two hundred. You get credit for maybe like five of them, right? I would take that any day. <laughs> if you did write a book, what would it be on? Do you think it'd be on leadership or AI? That's a good question. I haven't thought about it. I probably will be about. So I teach at NYU. Uh, so I've been an adjunct professor at NYU for seven years, and it might be about just well life experiences. I think uh, it might be about you know. Um, it won't be it won't be a business book. Let's put it this way. I think it'll be about how do you how do you take your experiences and can can it help people in, in some way or the other? I like that. Cause you're it's like giving back. It's uh you're trying to help the next generation do better. Right. Right. I think yeah. it'll be anything that I can contribute back will is what I I would probably wanna uh, write about. So how do you go about you know, spending time and contributing to your direct reports. So they pick up on these be, uh, behaviors and habits that you've learned. So one, I think um, the example that you gave is something that I firmly, from my management style, it's about decentralization and empowerment. So I've always assisted my, I've always believed in, you set the direction, you set, give them the goals, you give them the direct uh, strategy, and then you let them go do it. And then you measure them on very clear KPIs that have been driven. That's one. So decentralization and empowerment, and then giving back to the society, right? I mean, I think uh, you lead by uh, talking about, like, for example, one of the things we are, um, you might be seeing, India is going through a very horrible time with COVID, second wave of COVID. And we just launched, uh, at Innovata, we just, we launched a charity drive. We are helping our team members in India and all around the world with oxygen concentrators, where we are providing uh, concentrators to, uh, uh, because there's lack of, uh, oxygen cylinders and concentrators and ventilators. So we we are raising capital and then figuring out a way around the world to get to India, right? So I think you just find ways to uh, lead lead by example, and hopefully people will follow. Nice. Yeah, I saw that um, Mark Benioff like got an airplane and filled it with supplies, and then a couple other tech people did some things. It's great to see uh, the world coming together to help each other. I love it. it. It's, it's been great to great to see the whole world coming together and helping out uh, in the time of crisis. It really is a humanitarian crisis in India right now. So is your, your is your dad still over there? How's he doing? Yeah, he's uh, fortunately <laughs> he's, they're doing fine. Um, and uh, but it is I have friends and a lot of family who has gotten COVID. And the horror stories just with the sheer number of people who've gotten COVID and inability to find uh, hospital beds and oxygen at the right time is, is, is hurting. So yeah, we, we, we're doing everything we can from here, but it's hard, right? I mean, it's really hard because uh, there's only a certain amount of <laughs> infrastructure that's available to support. Have you gotten to spend any time over there? Uh, so yeah, I, yeah. So I go there every six months to a year. Uh, I try to go visit them, or they come visit us. So, and then my we have large teams in India, so I try to go spend time with my teams in India every six months. 
unfortunately for the year and a half i haven't been <laughs> since covid yeah. started but hoping next uh, in 6 months we'll be able to go visit them and have you done like special online events or something to make up for that how have you handled that yeah so we do special events we we try to host monthly uh, monthly chats or zoom calls now with our teams around the world and then uh try to make it a lot lot more fun so we've done some events with with the team it gets harder with uh, with the time differences but we try to manage it and try to have like a monthly two monthly events which is a, like a fun event that you can do like trivia or or like an escape room or do wine tasting those kind of events within the team just to keep the morale up and uh up and going and you also you seem like a this thought's been going back in my mind a couple times throughout this conversation like you seem like a pretty charitable person I think I can do more. <laughs> I yeah. think I can do a lot more than I do, but uh yeah, I think I do believe we should give back to the society as much as we can, right? Whatever you can to the best of your ability, give back to the society. At what point in your life did you like figure out that like this is a good thing and giving back feels good and this is something I want to do more of? I think I've seen that just growing up, like again from my parents, I've seen them being always taking a certain percentage of the paycheck and giving back to uh giving back to charity i would say i was not as charitable as i should have been <laughs> in the early part of my uh career with maybe first 10 years and then i think slowly uh got got it back and now it's become uh become a really important aspect of our lives. Yeah, my wife and i we give back a percentage of our income to the like local community and it we didn't start doing this really until about a year ago but i'll tell you what it makes you feel different when you're contributing to your community you feel yeah. a, a sense of ownership and and pride and responsibility for the things that are that are happening it's it's like a whole other level it's different than taxes like taxes are one thing right, right. but giving like above taxes and just contributing to the community it, it selfishly it makes you just feel really great <laughs> you're right i wish what i would love to be able to do is give out give more time uh than just money <laughs> so that i think is the next aspect of giving back because i think it's easier to give money i think it's harder to find time and that's the goal is how do we how do we give back time and in whatever way right yeah no it's good i figured it out in my like late 20s my first experiences with it and then just slowly has gotten more serious into my early 30s where i'm at now So uh it's something I I'll see myself doing for for a long time but you're right you have to find that balance right you can't just like quit your job and go <laughs> like full time serve the community you just have to find that find that balance. We've got about uh 10 minutes left um two other topics I want to talk about a little bit about leadership and then I want to give you some time to like wrap up and like calls to action for um you know people reaching out to you. So my question for leadership is like if you could design the perfect leadership training program like for your direct reports what would the three two or three things be in that program oh the one would be absolutely how do you how do you lead by example right so what 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 are kinds of things that you would do to uh uh to lead by example so how do you do things second would be we we talked a lot about charity i think that's that's very I think every leader has to has to have a charitable in whatever format it really doesn't matter how you do it but you have to be able to give back to 
your community, to your people, to the society in some shape or uh, shape or form. And then would be um, your management style, right? How are you managing people without, and there's a book that I, that I love, it's called The No Asshole Rule. Uh, I make everybody read that book is how are you not an asshole <laughs> and I pardon my French on this one but no worries. it is it is it's it's so important to me I've come across so many smart leaders who just would be really uh, rude and harsh to its people I don't think so you can drive performance by screaming and being hard and being being a jerk to your people so how do you how do you so one of the things i look for when i hire people and leaders in my places is he does he have what's his uh, likability quotient right so one of the things that we always uh, i'm i personally measure my, uh, people on is the likability quotient because that's what really gets you the call, right? That's what gets you to go. So I think those are the three things we look for. And uh, you should interview my boss. He's probably the <laughs> one of the best leaders you would ever come across because he really all of the, oh my god, he is he's amazing. <laughs> so what's his name? Jack Abuha. I'll have my team reach out and, and follow up on that too because I, I I love great leaders and learning about what they do and how they work. Fantastic. I mean, he's he's one of the best leaders I've ever worked with, worked for. <laughs> so. so let's let's wrap up with uh, some like calls to action. Like, Why would people reach out to your company? What problem are they experiencing that you can help with? Yeah, I think um, any company that is deploying AI solutions and are looking for accelerating their AI because they don't have enough clean training data, we are the company that can actually help across image, video, speech, data, and help save you guys money. Boom. Nailed it. <laughs> so how do, how do people reach out and find out more about you? Um, they can go to our website, fill in a form, um, or uh, they can reach out directly to me or my team. And what's the website? Uh, www.innodata.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.